Hey, good morning, Midtown. As you gather to worship this morning, I'm going to read a call to worship for us out of Psalm 139. And I chose this psalm in particular because it speaks to the reality of the, of, of the fact that our God is always with us. I think at a time like this and, and in the way that we're worshiping right now, it, it can be hard to believe that that's true. Sometimes it can feel like we're praying or we're worshiping and we're, we're hoping that God hears us. And what you need to know and be reminded of this morning or whatever you're taking in this service is that your God promises that he's with you. He promises that you're with him and he promises that he always hears you. So let this promise out of Psalm 139 ground the way you participate in worship. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Let's worship the Lord. Midtown, let's sing together and remind ourselves who we are in Christ. Well, it's weird to be looking at a screen, but let's try to get past that and sing, and sing with our hearts and faith, trusting that as we sing, the Lord is doing a work in our hearts.
thank you that you call us your children and that we are your sons and your daughters Lord and that you have come for us to redeem us to yourself and would you open your word now and teach us speak to us through your Holy Spirit we pray in Jesus name amen Amen Town, it's good to be with you today and to have the privilege of opening up scripture with you. Um, and this is really an interesting passage of scripture that we're gonna dive into. It's actually a parable of Jesus. And it's a parable that's kind of hard to understand, but um, it's easy to understand its purpose, a little bit more difficult to understand what it's about. Let me explain, right at the beginning of this passage, Jesus says, I'm telling you this parable so that you won't stop praying and that you won't lose heart. So he puts it right up there, right at the very beginning. And what does that mean? I mean, we know what it means to stop praying. We've all done that. Um, maybe you've done that this week. But what does it mean for us to lose heart? Well, this parable is in the context of several parables that are talking about the return of Christ. And what Jesus is talking about is that we as the church would lose heart in looking for the return of Christ for his coming back, but it's more than just looking for him to come back one day. It's also losing heart and believing that Jesus is right here, that he's working today, that he's active and that he's powerful and he's doing amazing things. In fact, scripture tells us that one of the promises of Jesus is that he's working all things together for the good of the church. And even in this weird time of the coronavirus, for us to actually believe that even this, Jesus is working all this together for the good of his church. And so Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this parable so that you won't lose heart. And when he says that, we have to understand that Jesus is saying, um, there's a challenge uh, to life and there's a temptation for us to lose heart. In fact, uh, there's a temptation for us to stop praying and we need to be prepared for that. Um, I remember when I was just a young kid and our family went to the beach for the very first time. Uh, my brothers and I and my cousins, we were just fascinated by just the power of waves. And we would jump into them and we would try to tackle them and then we would play this game to see who could stand and not get knocked over by the waves. Well, that was easy enough because you could see the waves coming, but then we would play the game of turning your back to the wave and closing your eyes and waiting for the wave to hit you to see if you could stand. And what Jesus is saying is the wave is coming. It's coming your way. 
So brace yourself now, prepare yourself even now so that you won't be knocked over by the wave. So let's dive into this, this parable and see what Jesus has to say to us. This is in Luke chapter 18, and this is starting in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversaries. For some time he refused, and finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So let's dive into this. But before we do, I got to put a little caution out here. Because it's easy to think that Jesus is telling this parable of this persistent widow, this widow who's just dogging this judge to get what she needs, that Jesus is kind of looking at us with shame lips and saying to us, really, you should pray more. That that's the whole purpose of this entire parable, that if some poor widow can get what she needs because she didn't give up, she tried harder and she accomplished it. She had discipline, hard work ingenuity, persistence, that she got what she needed, then you too, if you should pray like that, um, you'll get what you need. And it's a dangerous thing when we marry the word should with prayer because all of us have a ton of should messages that are running around in our head. And it's easy for us to actually believe that I should pray more. There's probably nobody that's watching this uh, and there's nobody that's filming this. And there's nobody that's actually preaching this that doesn't feel that they should pray more or that we should pray better, that uh, we should pray more for our kids. Of course we should. We should pray more for our parents. Of course we should, because if they would just change, we'd all be okay, right? Or we should pray more for our friends or our roommates. Or maybe we should just pray when we say we're going to pray. Have you ever told somebody, hey, I'm praying for you, but you weren't at all. And you didn't have any plans to pray for them. Or you told somebody at church, hey, how can I pray for you? And they share their hearts with you. And you never pray for them. Uh, yes, we should pray more. But when we put should and guilt with prayer, we think it's actually going to make us a better prayer. Because the shoulds and the guilt in this world, they've built cities. I can't tell you how much in this world has changed by the power of should and guilt. It's one of the most powerful forces in the world. Um, you probably know that if you've ever been to the beach. I'm following the beach motif through this whole sermon. That first day at the beach where you get into your bathing suit and you realize you're about to be more naked in public than you've been since the last time you were at the beach. And you glance yourself in the mirror and you just drop your head and go, what has happened to me? What has happened in the last year? And at that moment, you make beach, you make gym commitments that you'll never follow through on, but in that moment, your shame and your guilt has convinced you that you can turn this around. No pain, no gain. That This year is going to be the year that you're going to get in and you're going to make yourself somebody that you respect. You know, when we start thinking like that, that we should pray more, 
it's a little slippery slope because then we start to think that what prayer is, is, is like heavenly currency, that when we go into the gift shop of God, if I pray enough, then I'm going to be able to purchase what I want. That if I actually throw on top of those prayers fasting, oh, wait, now it just fattens up the bank account so that when I go to God, I can get what I need. That if I want to be healthy, I should pray more. That if I want my kids to pass math this spring, I should pray more. Well, actually, we probably ought to pray for the teacher because it's probably that kid's mom, and that teacher needs lots of prayer. Or if I want success, or if I want my relationships to be better, or if I want to be happier, I should pray more, 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 because the more I pray, the more God's going to answer my prayers, right? Well, let's stop for a second, because uh, literally the sermon is not about prayer. That's another time. Prayer is powerful, and Jesus teaches us that we should be people that pray without ceasing, and prayer should be a, a healthy, vibrant part of our walk with Christ. But this idea that if I can pray more, that God's going to hear me more, that's not what this parable is about. Jesus is saying that shame and guilt are not strong enough to help you keep from losing heart. They're not powerful enough to do that. You deciding that you're going to get better is not the key to you not losing heart and stopping praying. So if more isn't the point here, what is happening in this story? Well, let's dive into it because Jesus is using a form of argument, uh, fortiori. It's a fortiori. It's a form of an argument where you take uh, the opposites and you compare them to illustrate them both. Like you would talk about how light something is so that you can talk about how heavy something is. Or that you show how bad one thing is so it illustrates how good another is. Or how dark something is so that you can see the light. These extreme opposites illustrate more clearly what we're trying to see. And that's what's happening in this parable, that Jesus is using this kind of an argument. So he goes to the judge, which is almost like a God figure in this parable, and he shows us this picture of this horrible person. I mean, this guy, he says in Scripture, he doesn't fear God, and he doesn't care what people think about him. I know that uh, for many of us, uh, the idea of not caring what people think about us uh, may seem like emotional and relational health, but that's not what's happening in this story. He doesn't care what people think about him because he doesn't care about people. In fact, he's put himself on the throne of his world. He's become this narcissistic island unto himself. He doesn't care about anything or anyone unless it affects him in a positive or a negative way. When this uh, quarantine time um, started, you may remember back in March, everybody was scrambling to get as much toilet paper as possible. And there were videos of people running in and just filling up their grocery carts with like five-year supply of toilet paper. I saw a video of two people fighting over a 12-pack. And one of those people with this frail old lady, and the other was this young girl just yanking it from her hand and just shaming her. And I thought... That's a low. That is a whole new low when you will take toilet paper from an old lady. Well, that's what this is. This is a picture of this man who says, I don't care about anybody but myself. He's the center of his world. And he doesn't even care about justice unless it impacts him. He just cares about his own comfort. Look at verse 4. It says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual comings. And this is this idea, this language here that she would beat me down. It's a boxing term 
that her continually coming to him was like punching him in the face and giving him a black eye. And he was just tired of it. And it's a comical picture. And I love how Jesus has a sense of humor in all these parables where he's painting this picture of this little frail widow, you know, boxing this powerful judge who seems to have power to do whatever he wants to do. So remember that this fortiori, this a fortiori argument is when we look at this judge and how bad he is, what Jesus is saying is that's not God. As bad as that guy is, that's how good your God is. Because you don't have a God who doesn't care. You have a God who cares for you immensely. You have a God who so loved the world that he gave. He didn't take. He gave. He gave his only son. In fact, in 1 John, it says that the name of God is love. In Romans chapter 5, it says, But God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Even when we hated God, God loved us and moved toward us to rescue us from our own sin and our own hatred even when we weren't asking to do that. But you know, uh, if you've been in church, especially if you've been at Midtown, hearing about God's love, His grace, His abundant care for us as the bride of Christ, you've heard that before, and that may not become uh, striking news. I mean, you may have even heard it from kindergarten uh, when you learned, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I don't want to say that grace isn't hard to understand or a loving father, but I'm saying that it's more natural for us to understand a loving father. When we grow up in, in our homes as little children, there's, there's a natural trust in these parental figures. And even we see it in kids where kids uh, have such an unbelievable trust in their parents. And they trust their parents are like superheroes. So when you ask a little kid, what do you want for Christmas? Uh, they don't think it's odd to ask for a unicorn because they think, well, of course, dad can get me a unicorn. Or if you ask them where you want to go on vacation and they say, I want to go to the moon, they really have that kind of trust. So when you tell me that God is love and that God cares about me and comes after me when I can't come after him, it's not such a foreign experience to me. Like I have a three-year-old grandson. And man, let me tell you, I love being around him because all he wants to do is talk, 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 talk. And one of the favorite things he does, and if you have children, you've experienced this, he asks why about everything. Why, why, why? And he just doesn't want to leave you. He wants to be around you, and he wants to talk to you and hear you talk all the time. Even when you go to the bathroom, he'll stand at the door and knock and go, what are you doing in there? He just doesn't want to be separated from you. But, you know, when we grow up, when we leave childness uh, and we abandon this idea of growing deeper in our relationship with our parents, and we start to believe that being a child or being childish is independence from our parents. That's maturity. And Jesus comes in, and he's reclaiming who we are by bringing us deeper into what it means to be a child and dependency upon our Father. But a lot of us understand that. A lot of us understand that Jesus loves us and he's calling us deeper into a relationship with him and dependency upon our Father who cares about us. And that's not where most of us get stuck in this parable. And even when I believe that, sometimes I lose heart and I stop praying. And I just Let me just say this, that not, not praying and losing heart are not always connected together, but often they are. And if you don't have a vibrant prayer life, and I'm not saying more, but if you don't have a vibrant prayer life, you may have already lost heart that God is working and is powerful in your life and in the world and that he's coming again. But we don't, 
We don't get stuck there. We actually get stuck in the other part of this parable. The other part of this parable is the widow. This widow, you got to understand the original listeners to the story have been shocked because women didn't go to court. Women always sent the head of the home, the husband to court, or the son to court, or an uncle to court, or someone, a male figure in that family system. So the fact that this widow was going to this judge really illustrated she had nobody. Nobody to go to court for her, nobody to defend her. She was actually all alone. And Jesus paints this, this crazy picture for us to grasp that this widow was powerless, she was weak, she was vulnerable, she had, she had no authority, and she had no power. And here's this little widow who's persistent. And many of us in the church and many Christians believe, that's me, I'm the widow. I'm powerless, I'm weak, I'm vulnerable, I have no authority, and I have no power whatsoever. And we camp out there, and we forget that this argument that Jesus is making, this fortiari, this, this argument that takes the light to describe the heavy, is actually in this case just as well. Listen to what it says in verse 6. And the Lord says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Let me read that last part again. God will give justice to his elect. See, what Jesus is saying here is the elect, these are the people that he's gone after. He's left the 99 to come after you. He's left the 99 to come after me. We're not widows. That's not who we are. We are the elect, meaning we're not widows without anybody. We're the exact opposite of that. We are brides, and we have a husband who cares for us and a community that cares for us. You know, I've never done a wedding where the bride sits on the back row of the sanctuary the entire service and just answers her vows from the back of the crowd. I've never been in a wedding where we've done that. Because the bride, when the bride comes in, the room stops because the bride is valued, the bride is adored. And if you look at the groom and you look in his eyes and his face, you see the bride there because he's now beholding his beloved. And in beholding his beloved, he is declaring, that is my bride. And that's what Jesus is saying about us here. We are not widows. We are the bride of Christ. In fact, in John chapter 16, it talks about that the Holy Spirit came to convict us of our need for a Savior. But the Holy Spirit also came to convict us of our righteousness. See, what he's talking about there is that when Christ came, the one who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. We've been made new. We're not widows anymore. We belong to him. And because we belong to him, now we are a bride and we're not alone. So my pleas, my prayers are not pleads of a widow hoping the judge will show me mercy. They are the cries of a bride to the groom who deeply, deeply loves her. You know, when we go to Ephesians chapter 1, we see this powerful picture of what it means to be a bride because in the first part, verses 1 through 16, we hear in his own way, Paul is saying, you're a bride, you're a bride, you're a bride, you're the elect, you're the chosen, you're the one he came after, you're the one he loves, you're his beloved, you're the one that he cares for and rejoices over with singing. And because that's true, and this is at verse 17, he prays that, that the Lord may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He's saying, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and bring you wisdom and the Holy Spirit would come and bring you revelation. And what do we need revelation of? He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Meaning, 
I'm praying that you'll wake up or open your eyes, meaning that you've shut your eyes, now open them, and I want you to see something. And what does he want us to see? He says, that your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What he's saying here is he's praying by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit, not only to know that God loves me, but especially to know who I am, that I'm not a widow and I'm a bride. And as a bride, I've been given hope, I've been given riches, and I've been given power. See, what Jesus is saying to us in this parable is what's going to keep us from losing heart. What keeps us in a life of vibrant prayer isn't doing more or trying harder. What keeps us there is knowing who God is, but also what keeps us there is knowing who we are. He's really calling us to stop living like widows. He's calling us to start living like brides. And brides have hope. And you know, hope is powerful. If you've ever been in a hopeless situation, and some of you may feel that right now we're in a hopeless situation, it takes courage, it takes faith to bring hope into those situations. And actually it's the soil where beautiful things grow by the power of grace. But we also don't live just as people with hope. We also live as people that are rich in the inheritance that is ours. If you've ever known somebody that's due to inherit a lot of money, they live a little differently than the rest of us because they know something's coming that gives them freedom in the very present. And Jesus is saying, you need the Holy Spirit to teach you you're not a widow. You are rich in the inheritance of all that God promises you. And then finally, uh, in this passage, Paul is urging us that the eyes of your heart would be open by the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's how we need a third member of the Trinity to know who we are, that you would have power. And we don't have power just so we can say we have power. We have power so that we can use it, so that we can pour ourselves out and know that there is a power source in us that fills us back up. And that's what God is calling us to do here, is that we pour ourselves up by not giving up and run to our Father in constant communication like children, which is prayer. When I was in seminary, my uh, missions professor was Dr. Paul Long. And I remember he told this, this story of his first assignment as a missionary was to a third world country. And it was a poor country, and he was ministering to poor villages. And he was able to share the gospel with this one woman in the village, and she came to faith. And it was one of those conversions, maybe you've seen it before, to where the moment she realized that Christ loved her and gave himself for her, and she cried out him to faith to rescue her from her own sins. Like It was a transformation. Like the lights came on. The Holy Spirit gave her revelation to understand who she was. And uh, man, it was like, you may have heard this in church before. She was like on fire, fire of the Holy Spirit. Just, And she was passionate about the Lord and began to go back into her own villages and just sharing the gospel with the people in her villages. And one day she showed up one afternoon on Dr. Uh, Miller's porch, or Dr. Long's porch, and um, said, hey, I've just led a woman to the Lord in my village, and she doesn't have any clothes. Could you give me money to go buy her clothes? And Dr. Long said, I can't give you money because if I had to clothe everybody that you were leading to the Lord, I wouldn't have any money. Wouldn't that be an amazing problem for us to have here in Midtown? And so he refused her, and uh, she went away kind of dejected. But that night he heard something on the front porch, and he went out on the front porch, and over in the corner was this woman, his friend, who he had led to the Lord, 
curled up in a ball, and she had no clothes on. And he asked her, what are you doing? And she goes, I gave the lady I led to the Lord my clothes, and I came to you because I knew you loved me, and even though you didn't know her, you know me, and you'll clothe me. That's prayer. That's prayer where we believe not only that God loves us, but that we are his bride. That's what keeps us from giving up because when we pour ourselves out, we come back to the Father to know that he's the one that's pouring into me. So as we come into this season, I, I just pray for you that if this is a season where you've given up, where your prayer life is diminished to nothing, uh, don't pick up the should. Pick up the call of your loving Father that's saying, come on, let's talk, so that he not only can display to you who he is, but he also can display to you who you are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these kind of parables that remind us that you're coming back. And when you come back, we'll all see clearly. But right now, things are hard, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to remember that you love us when circumstances seem to tell us that maybe you don't. But Lord, these are the times that we need the power of your Holy Spirit, not just to remind us who you are, but to remind us who we are, that we're your treasured possession, that we are the one that you rejoice over. We're the one that you call the beloved. You were the one that were not satisfied for us to die in our sins, but came and rescued us. Even when we were your enemies, Lord, you went to the cross for us. Lord, remind us of that so like little children, we can come to you this week and drink deeply of those truths and have fellowship with the one who cares for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now let's sing again as we put our hope and our rest in Christ. That he is for us that we are his bride, that we are his people. And let's take courage in our hearts that he is for us. Take courage, my heart. 
stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. And hold on to your hope. As your triumph unfolds, he's never failing. He's never failing. And you hold the stars. Who call them each by name Will surely keep your promise to me That I will rise in your victory And you who hold the stars Who call them each by name Let's read this passage from Isaiah 40 together. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And if my heart is overwhelmed, and I cannot hear your voice I hold on to what is true Though I cannot see And if the storms of life they come And the road ahead gets steep 
I will lift these hands in faith I will believe I remind myself of all that you've done and the life I have because of your son love came down and rescued me love came down and set me free I am yours I am forever yours mountain high valley low I'll sing out remind my soul that I am yours I am forever yours when my heart is filled with hope every promise comes my way when I feel your hands of grace rest upon me staying desperate for you God staying humbled at your feet I will lift these hands in praise I will believe I'll remind myself of all that you've done and the life I have because of your son love came down and rescued me love came down and set me free and I am yours I am forever yours mountain
Mountain high, valley low, I'll sing out, remind my soul, I am yours, I am forever yours. As we go from here into our weeks, uh, receive this benediction and remember that your Heavenly Father loves you and Jesus has made a way for you to come to Him with anything and everything. And so receive this benediction. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Go in peace.